The Irish Times Inside Politics podcast is going to be holding another live event. This one is in central Dublin on Thursday, May the 16th at 8am. We are going to be in Medley in Dublin too. We only have a few tickets left, so if you want to join me in conversation with head of Ipsos polling in the US, Cliff Young, along with Pat Leahy and Jennifer Bray, looking at the polling in Ireland in the run-up to the European and local elections, just go to irishtimes.com slash events where you can get your tickets. Order. You're listening to the Irish Times Inside Politics podcast. It's Wednesday, April 12th, and you're very welcome to Inside Politics from the Irish Times. I'm Harry McGee. Later on today's podcast, I'll be escaping the watery bubble surrounding Leinster House to investigate what issues actually matter to people in small town Ireland. But first, I'm joined by my colleague, political reporter Sarah Barden, to find out what happened inside the bubble yesterday. And if it was a bubble, uh, Sarah, it was a very watery uh, bubble. The the water charges issue has dominated Irish politics for a long time now, but it looks like it might have come to uh, some form of a conclusion yesterday. Uh, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael seem to have uh, sealed the deal, uh, but both of them have taken flack, perhaps Fianna Fáil a little more so. What's your read on what happened yesterday and the implications it might have for the parties and indeed for the customer out there? I suppose yesterday was a bit of a bizarre day. We had expected that going into the meeting um, that Fianna Gael and the Labour Party would vote against the report's recommendations. And in a matter of minutes, there was a, a full 360 and it turned out that Fianna Gael would be the ones who would be supporting the report alongside uh, Fianna Fáil and all other members of the of the committee, um, aside from the chairman, Podig O'Kadig and Noel Grealish, would be voting against the recommendations. What essentially happened, Harry, was the senior counsel um, to the committee um, held a hearing with the members and said that he had some concerns about the legality of some of the measures and um, suggested some changes to ensure that Ireland was in compliance with the EU Water Framework Directive. Um, One of the things that he insisted that the committee do was reverse their recommendation not to install water meters in all new bills and he also expressed a desire for the word excess use to be put back into the report. Both of those were recommendations um, in order for Ireland to comply with European law and so Fianna Fáil accepted the Senior Council's recommendations but as you said that has led them to the accusation of doing a substantial uh, U-turn and um, considering their position going into the meeting it was dramatically different leaving the meeting last night. Okay and for Fianna Fáil I think it was more than uh, a U-turn uh, to employ uh, the uh, parlance of the toilet it was almost like an S-turn because they reversed uh, from the agreement they had with Fine Gael two weeks ago Uh, last week and yesterday they reversed that reverse uh, to come back to what we in the Irish Times call the status quo ante, the position that they had adopted in the first place uh, two weeks uh, ago. And as you said, it was a a 360 degree turn. The senior counsel himself was accused by the right to water uh, members of the uh, uh, committee of himself uh, affecting a a U-turn or or providing what they described as contradictory advice? Well, last Thursday when the committee was expected to conclude its work, it got a brief synopsis from the senior counsel on um, on the report and where he felt there needed to be changes made. And he said that the report was sufficient and it was a matter for the legislation uh, to ensure that Ireland complied with EU law. 
when he returned from uh, Singapore uh, earlier this week, he met, he sent a revised um, legal opinion to the committee, which was dr- dramatically different to the one that he had provided previously. So the right to order CDs yesterday were questioning why there was a significant change in his position or why there was a contradiction at the very least in what he had said on Thursday and what he sa- had said on Tuesday. Yeah, and in fairness to him, he was saying that he was away. He was looking at amendments um, coming to him one by one and he was kind of assessing the amendments on their own merits. And it was only when he returned from Singapore, I think it might have been even Hong Kong, um, on Monday, did he get a chance to look at the document in its entirety. But uh, be that as it may, the fact that uh, his evidence uh, had changed uh, allowed uh, some uh, space for Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael uh, to uh, copper fasten uh, a new agreement and to resolve the issue as was. Well, Fianna Fáil were a little bit hamstrung in a way because um, when the report, when the advice had come from the senior council on Thursday, they had urged all parties to accept it. Um, so when the revised uh, opinion came from the senior council to then recommend to not to accept his advice would have been, a, you know, would have been a difficult position for Fianna Fáil to argue. Um, Realistically, uh, the deal that has been concluded today is, as you have said in your analysis piece this morning, is a deal that was agreed with Fine Gael 10 days ago. But what happened was, and this is um, a, a reflection on Fine Gael rather than on Fianna Fáil, when the committee met um, last Tuesday, Fine Gael, uh, objected to the first recommendation, the first line of the report, and suddenly the deal unravelled. So in fairness to Fianna Fáil, when Fine Gael came into the meeting and tried to change the position, they believed that the deal that they had struck with Simon Coveney had come undone. And that's essentially, we had 10 days of wrangling between both of them, both of them issuing counter threats to each other and, um, you know, warning that they would breach confidence and supply, block a new Taoiseach, etc, etc. Um, and really what we ended up with yesterday was looking back on a waste of 10 days because the agreement that they've reached is pretty much the agreement that they reached 10 days ago. Yeah, it was like a, a kind of a schoolyard fight and uh, with no kind of uh, conclusive kind of outcome for either party. I mean, it was being played this morning that Fine Gael probably uh, achieved more yesterday because uh, they were able to return the situation to what it was 10 days ago and their reverses or concessions weren't probably as dramatic as Fianna Fáil's. But in fairness to Barry Cowan, uh, he was quite strong on the plinth last night on a Morning Ireland this morning saying, OK, there's going to be spin. I don't really care if we're taking hit on the short term. The long term message is that water charges are off the agenda for all but 8% of the people. There are two other interesting um, uh, items um, that kind of needed to be ironed out or finessed yesterday. Uh, the biggest stumbling block, as I could see it yesterday, Sarah, was uh, over how do you assess excessive uh, use? And Fine Gael were uh, holding to this per household method uh, which worked out at about 333 litres per day and Fianna Fáil uh, uh, per household, and that's a household of 2.6. And Fianna Fáil were saying, no, it should be per person, which is 133 uh, litres a day. I think the Fianna Fáil argument was that if you had a big household, uh, that you would be discriminated against. It seems, uh, even though there's a bit of concession on either side, that perhaps uh, Fine Gael might have won out on that issue. Uh, I think so. And in, in, um, having spoken to Barry Kane last night, um, he accepts that the proposal that he made initially, um, there could have been some uh, 
older people, some people living alone, would have been unfairly penalised under his proposals. And he said that Fine Gael, as he put it rightly, um, raised objections to that and he accepted their amendments. But just supposed to go back to the original point. OK, Fine Gael are almost uh, giddy with glee at the, at the thought that Simon Coveney has taken down Barry Cowan. But in reality, if you look at it objectively and you take a step back from the past uh, number of days, Fine Gael fought an election on the policy of preserving water charges. Uh, They are in favour. They strongly support charging people for water. Um, The report that has issued and that will now be implemented by the Fine Gael party is far from that. You know, obviously, uh, Minister Coveney may have got some short-term gains in his ongoing dispute with Barry Cowan, but in reality, Fine Gael, um, this is the best deal that Fine Gael could ever have hoped for and it goes against everything that they have argued for. Um, You know, needless to say, they fought an election on this very issue and they suffered quite dramatically for that um, and re- realistically they are now being forced into a position that they don't upset, they don't um, accept and that they don't support. For Fianna Fáil um, yes there's some significant they took a bit of a significant battering over the past number of days um, but they have achieved what they set out to achieve which is that the majority of the population will no longer pay water charges. 8% of the population use 32% of water but um, in reality, the majority of that, from the evidence that was given to the committee by Irish Water, is down to leakage. So a small number of people will end up paying for water charges. And those that do, as Barry Cowan keeps telling them, they can send their, their bills down to his constituency office. and Fianna Fáil press offices ch- challenging your analysis there, uh, Sarah. Um, one of the things that struck me was the coherence of the Right to Water group within the committee. They were very consistent all along. Uh, They knew, they were very focused on what they were wanted. They were very skillful last week in the way that they were able to bring, uh, they were able to coax uh, Fianna Fáil over to their side. Uh, They were quite outspoken in the criticism of Fianna Fáil and I suppose they had uh, some justification uh, uh, last night, Sarah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in one way, I think you were the person who asked the question at the meeting uh, or at the the press conference yesterday that Right to Water were somewhat naive to believe that Fianna Fáil would come on board board completely over to their their side. Um, They don't see this as a victory the report as it stands and they will not be supporting it Um, and one would question why because the reality is as I said a significant proportion of the population will not be um, paying water charges they performed quite well um, together in the committee but again just showed I suppose that small bit of political naivety by by trusting the Fianna Fáil position and um, trusting that they would come to to their way of thinking now, uh, the other interesting little twist uh, is that there were two members who voted against, but they voted against for very different reasons than the right to water people. Yeah, Labour Party's Jan O'Sullivan and the Green Party's Grace O'Sullivan said that they would um, not be supporting the report because it didn't go far enough. They said that um, from the Green Party's perspective, they believed that they sh- there should be a stronger um, charge for excessive use and that there should be um, other metering, other meters installed um, for the Labour Party. It's something similar. Um, Um, I think, you know, the right to water, the right to water on one side, the Labour Party are on the other side. Uh, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil are somewhere somewhere in between. I suppose it just shows how divisive this issue still uh, still is in Irish politics. Okay, well, whatever U-turns, S-turns, whatever you have, there was a blockage. That blockage has now been removed and hopefully we'll be able to flush uh, the whole issue of water charges out of our system. Uh, Sarah Barton, I'm very obliged for you coming in this morning to talk and share your expertise on this issue. And I'll be back after this short break.
Today we're doing something slightly different. Issues like water charges and scandals involving the Gordhi have dominated the political agenda lately. But yesterday I escaped Dublin for a few hours to find out whether these kinds of issues really matter to people and their politicians at a local level. And while I didn't quite make it out of the pale, at least I got outside the political bubble, as far as Salins, a fast-growing commuter town in County Kildare. So to describe uh, Salins, it's kind of strange. There's still a very strong rural element to it. There's the canal, the Grand Canal, which is beautiful, and the barges stretching along on either side. You can hear a bird song. Uh, the trees are just beginning to, uh, the buds are just beginning to show. So it's, there's a kind of a rural element to it. You see the odd tractor passing by because it's very good agricultural land. But then you have the village itself with the two bridges. You have the canal and then the train. And they're the two most important elements uh, of the town. And this extraordinarily heavy traffic. Everywhere you go, there's traffic uh, passing. And it's a place where uh, cars, uh, trucks... Uh, buses, vans are just going through from uh, dawn to dusk and something clearly needs to be done about that in the first instance. Uh, There seem to be other issues in relation to broadband, in relation to planning, uh, in relation to industry and in relation to jobs as well. But um, all in all, I think um, it's uh, a town that seems to be doing relatively well uh, in comparison to other towns uh, and villages in rural Ireland. That's primarily because it has become such an important uh, commuting uh, place for people who are working in Dublin. The first person we meet in Salins is Ken Mulligan, a primary school teacher. He's out walking along the busy through road with his two young children. He's been living here for 10 years with his family and has mainly positive things to say about the town. It's close to the countryside and has good links to the city and has a strong GAA culture. Uh, You've got the canal, you're close to the countryside. It's... uh uh, it's 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 great. Like. It's not exactly um, peaceful though, because uh, you're probably oblivious to it at this stage. But as we walk along, there's just yeah. this constant throughput of traffic, including yeah. trucks you... and cars passing through. Yeah, they you... have planned to bypass it. What's your own views on that? Well, it's not that I'm used to it. It's, I kind of I'm aware that this road it's, it is pretty dangerous. But they've been talking about this bypass since we moved up here ten years ago, and it still hasn't happened. There's no playground in Salins yet. Again, another thing they've been talking about for the last 10 years. To find out a bit more about the strengths and weaknesses of the area, I met with three politicians. James Lawless is a Fianna Fáil TD for Kildare. Catherine Murphy is also a TD for Kildare and she's joint leader of the Social Democrats. And Fintan Brett is a Fine Gael councillor and the current mayor of nearby Nace. James told me about the rapid development of this town which was once a tiny village. Okay, so Salins has now a population of about 5,000. Uh, I think it qualified for small town status in, in the last census. Um, that's grown from a population, it's actually multiplied about a thousand fold, a thousand percent, from about under 500 maybe in the early no- 90s. Um, it was a small local village, uh, there was a meat factory, uh, some, so I suppose some farm, farm labour um, and a couple of service industries in the pubs uh, up until, I suppose, about 15 years ago. And really the commuter... Uh, explosion uh, took over uh, because it's on the, on the periphery of Dublin uh, because it has the train station uh, and good transport links we saw a huge population increase uh, as I said went from about 500 up to about 5,000 I think at one stage it was seen to be the fastest growing village in Europe 
Um, so with that, uh, and, and I have to be honest, I'm part of that myself. I came to live here in 2002, bought a new house beside the train station, uh, very convenient for commuting to Dublin. Also, it's beside Nace, uh, the county town, so a lot of, uh, and the Grand Canal, uh, as we mentioned, so a lot of, a lot of attractive features here. But that, of course, has brought growing pains. So you, if you put in population, if you put in housing, you must put in the amenities. Uh, something we're seeing elsewhere in the constituency at the moment as well as different area plans are going through uh, as housing restarts. Uh, and the village struggled for a long time with that. Uh, the local school, now luckily we did manage to get the extension through uh, at the time. Uh, the Recently the local area plan was done and there was a whole a campaign for more facilities, things like playing fields, things like community halls, um, you know, games rooms, uh, areas for people to congregate. Thankfully, that's been delivered, but it was a, it was a long, drawn-out process, uh, which required the whole village effectively mobilising, coming to the streets uh, with signatures and petitions, uh, working with uh, us on the council and in the Dáil to, to make that happen. Captain Murphy, when we were just talking before coming on air previously, you were also making the point that James was making is that you've had a population boom. I mean, the population has increased tenfold in 16 or 17 years. But the services have lagged behind. Yeah. And this is a big problem for a small village like this. Yeah, and it won't be just very obvious services, um, the ones that uh, James talked about, like the recreational facilities or the schools. It'll be some of the softer support services that, you know, things you, you, you will typically uh, see in a constituency office, for example, people with maybe a child with a disability um, and the inadequacy of the services to keep pace with the disproportionately young population. Harry, we do everything backwards in this mm. country. We are absolutely fixated on crisis management. We create the crisis and then we resolve it. Um, instead of planning and having things uh, happen in tandem. Um, and that is a huge frustration. The other thing that's a huge frustration will be people being seen, for example, almost as economic units because they happen to live in a commuter belt. This is the home. They have an investment here. They've, they're stakeholders here. There are other big issues that are exercising politicians nationally. Uh, post offices, uh, broadband, housing, uh, jobs uh, amongst them. Do they all have a residence down here as well, James? Broadband is an issue once you step outside the towns. Um, I know the Minister's new plan is talking about um, allowing a lot of that to be commercially satisfied. It's not happening to date. And people, actually, the chair of the Small Firms Association nationally lives about a mile away from here. Uh, I was talking to her the other day, she can't get broadband to her own house. Um, and, you know, that's only a mile outside uh, what is very much an urban centre uh, on the fringe of Dublin. So broadband is an issue. Uh, the post offices, we do have a post office in the village. It's in the super value there. Um, it's working out reasonably well. Uh, but in the, some of the smaller villages you know that that would be a concern and I suppose even the post office is maybe a metaphor for the wider concern uh, of a neglect of rural Ireland and um, the what kind of services are being removed um, as Catherine said it's not all about the the, the essentials you know the, the basic the obvious things uh, it's the software services that come in behind that as well. Local people we met agreed to a greater or lesser degree that failure to provide social services and amenities is a problem in this rapidly growing town. This is Michael Corley, a local man, retired, who is involved in the men's shed movement. There's, uh, so many nationalities we have living here and there's nothing being done to cater for, especially for the younger crowd. You know, we don't even have a youth club here in the village, you know, and which I would love to push in a big way. But uh, just to keep them busy and occupied, okay, you know, we do have our problems with drugs and silence. Yeah. Big time. Really? Yeah. And that, that came in with the influx of houses, you know. Yeah, and people have talked about the lack of uh, facilities, I mean... No, uh, no facilities, really. Really? No, but there's buildings lying idle everywhere you look. Yeah. Did um, it over-expand? Was there a bit of a, is there uh, a bit of the Celtic tiger hangover here as well, is there? Massive. Yeah. Massive. This is Carl Lawler, a long-time Salons resident, originally from County Mayo. And perhaps the facilities haven't been able to 
match uh, that big increase in, po in, in, in population in terms of uh, playing facilities, playgrounds, recreation facilities, schools and what have you. Well, that's true. Um, but um, in terms of the playground, I know there is a site um, available, but I think there are some issues there. But again, that's been going on for a good few years. Hopefully that will be resolved soon. Um, I'm not sure really what the, the latest is on that, but I know they have a site. And I know there was land, there's been land allocated in the last few months to, um, I know there was some local politicians involved, James Lawless is one of them for sure, um, and um, that will definitely provide amenities. There's going to be football pitch and soccer pitch. So all these things are in the pipeline. Councillor Finton Brett tells us more about plans to improve the social environment for the people of Salins. Quality of life here. Well, the plan, first of all, the bypass is already out to tender, so that's going to start in quarter four, three quarter four this year. Follow on that, uh, that we have a difference? Oh, it will, of course, yeah. yeah. It'll take all this traffic out of the centre of the town. Mm -hmm. And the traffic then can come in on the uh, south side and on the north the centre and on the uh, north side. So you have three different areas to feed into the town and feed out of the town. Second of all, we have the NACE uh, local area plan now just started literally three or four weeks ago and environs. Now, while we have a silence plan just completed, the, the environs plan will take in uh, Silence, Johnstone. We'll look at those as part of this overall plan because, as uh, Catherine and James has alluded, the uh, train station for NASA is here in Silence. So it's obviously quite uh, easy to see that that's part of the town and we want to build this as part of NASA and develop it. There's a town centre plan done for Silence, an absolutely fabulous plan, in my opinion, yeah. where you have a mixture of uh, pedestrianisation areas, you have shopping areas, you have accommodation and living quarters overhead so that people will live in the centre of the village. And we have because we have a whole quarter of this village from the literally here from Old Bridge Station out as far as Prosperous Road. You have a few, but you have the centre of it here right on the canal is derelict for the want of a better word with the old meat factory and that is so we need to develop that as the town centre James Lawless says that Salence has not escaped the housing shortage that plagues Dublin and many parts of the country there are around 7,000 individuals and families on Kildare's housing list it's the third highest in the country just after Dublin and Cork so there's a huge demand and it will be probably the number one issue in every clinic uh, that I hold. Um, so there's a huge demand for housing, both social housing uh, and all types of housing. Again, the attraction is, is, is very, uh, the location is very attractive for people who want to commute to Dublin. Uh, but for people who live here, people locals who want to be housed as well, um, there's, there's that fundamental need for housing. Uh, and the only way to get that is supply. Uh, and some of these infrastructure facilities we're talking about, the ring roads and the bypasses, are essential to, to enable that as well. Just um, just moving on, I suppose, the crime issue as well, I think Harry mentioned, and we, we talked about the Garda Commission in the very abstract sense in terms of what we're debating in the Dáil day to day. How that manifests here uh, is we saw the Kilgarda stations up the road. Uh, that closed in uh, 2014. I think Phil Hogan uh, and the team at the time um, uh, closed that down. Um, and I suppose we've seen, we have no community guard, for instance, in Salence for the last five years. We are getting one back at the moment. So people are burgled, unfortunately, that's a, that's a reality of life. Um, but there's that sense of assurance that a local guard of presence provides. Uh, resources have been a huge issue, as Catherine said, and she's documented it well. We're actually the, the worst per capita in the country in terms of guard resources. So you need to get guard on the street, on the beach. You know, you need to have them visible and, and those presences. We can understand, say, somebody, you know, they work hard, 
they leave their home, they go to work, they come home and they find that their house has been burgled. That's routine. Yeah. Um, and and it, it is so unfair and uh, the, 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 the feeling that you know, nothing can be done about by virtue of the fact that the, uh, the, the level of cover here is not sufficient. Um, and I've got to say, I would question, uh, because there's that feeling, I would even question the accuracy of uh, the reporting um, of, of, of statistics here. I, I've been in estates where there hasn't been a house that hasn't, not necessarily in Salons, but I, where there hasn't been a house that hasn't had a burglary. I mean, that is just not on. And um, and there there needs to be a sense of security, um, and the the idea that uh, you know what you have you hold in other areas is not good enough. I approached several residents of Salon to ask their opinions, and it was hard to escape the conclusion that many of them are not very interested in politics. Perhaps you couldn't blame them, but one man's local story of success was very much a byproduct of a political decision. That man's name is Barry Flanagan and he is the co-owner of a new microbrewery in Lock 13, a bar and restaurant in the middle of Salins. Here, as across the country, the craft beer business is booming, and it's partially thanks to a generous tax break introduced by former Taoiseach Brian Cowan in 2005. As you said, 10, 15 years ago, for me as a publican, there, was, there wasn't even any other beers on the market, and now there's a flood of beers. Um, all breweries are standing by themselves. I think the tax break has been a massive help in aiding that. Um, employment locally, I think, and that's where the government have got it 110% right, that it does create local jobs, it supports the local farmers, it supports local employment in the area. Uh, from the initiative that Brian Cowan did bring in for the 50% uh, rebate um, for the little guys, I think it's given them a fighting chance um, that they can go up against the Goliaths. Finally, let's go back to our politicians. Do they think politics is succeeding for Salins? Um, I, I think that there is. Uh, I, I, you couldn't say it's succeeding because you're seeing you're seeing a, as I said, a crisis management. You create the crisis and you, then you resolve. Some of that comes back to how we plan our communities and how we deliver services. That's not just about the current doll. That's about how your county council works. That's how. Uh, that's how you, you your your construction industry works or doesn't work, for example. Um, that's how you know the like of the HSE works or doesn't work in relation to delivery delivery of services in the timely way. So I think a lot of the institutions um, are, do require uh, to have a, to, to have a different focus, um, and that focus has been it has to be about uh, you know. Uh, planning but planning in more than a physical sense planning the services that go with and thinking out how you build a community as opposed to a collection of houses and that's the more difficult thing okay james your view on that yeah, well, I suppose uh, to an extent I'm living proof. I mean, as someone who got involved in the Salons community as an activist uh, about 10 years ago, um, somebody who was subsequently elected to the council and is now a voice for Salons in the Dáil, um, I, I think in that sense, Salons certainly has, a, you know, is represented and people power, um, when people get behind campaigns, um, you know, that, that can come to fruition. A lot of the issues we've had, there have been huge teething troubles, the planning issues, the, the housing before the infrastructure, we're finally getting to the, to, to the nub of that and things like the bypass, things like the playing fields, things like the playground, even things like the greenway that I mentioned are coming, but they're not here yet. So certainly the design, certainly the attention is having put on those problems, certainly um, the powers that be are now, are now focused on them and are, are now engaged on them. The test will be really in the delivery. Um, most of those projects are due to start over the next 12 months. Uh, I'll certainly be keeping the pressure on very much, uh, as I have done for the last 10 years, but finally in a position of power to do something about it. So I think if we see those, if we see the bypass, if we see the amenities, um, 
if we see all those good things that are promised come to pass, then politics will have worked. If not, then it'll be a different position. That's it for this episode of Inside Politics. Thanks to Sarah Barden, Catherine Murphy, James Lawless and Fintan Brett and the people of Salins for their time. If you have any questions, comments or feedback, email me at hmcgee at irishtimes.com or tweet me at Harry McGee. The show was produced by Declan Conlon with Rob O'Sullivan on sound. Hugh Linehan will be back next week. Thanks very much for listening.